Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. different environmental announcements, I mainly the different announcements regarding uh, holidays for late September. The first one is on September the 27th, and it is National Crush Day, and it's also Crush uh, Can Day, and it's held every September 27th, and it highlights the importance of recycling and also making sure that you know that recycling is amazing because it does have a few benefits attached to it, mainly reducing carbon emissions, saving money, and also cutting down on overall waste. And next is National Public Lands Day, and it's celebrated on September the 28th. So both of those holidays we celebrate nationally here in the U.S. Uh, also is um, the next environmental holiday of Green Consumer Day, and it's also held on September the 28th. So this means shopping as a green consumer, being really conscious about where your products are coming from, the overall impact of the environment, if these things you know line up with what you um, usually go for in a product. But taking it a step further and evaluating how was this product impacting the planet first and also things like your wallet, you know, transportation of how that product is getting to you. So many other factors um, you could could look at um, when buying a particular product. And then lastly is World Rivers Day, which occurs and is celebrated on the last Sunday of September. Headlines from the Hemispheres is our next segment up, and I'm going to talk about different environmental headlines all across the world, of course. The first one is uh, one that I'm really excited about because it's about a famous narrator and naturalist, and he's big in television and movies for anyone who knows about him from across the pond, and this amazing world record that this person recently broke. So Sir David Attenborough reached his 1 million Instagram followers in hours, breaking world record. NPR.org had this story, and it's out of the UK, of course. This is where uh, Sir David uh, Attenborough is from, as we all know, or those who are in the environmental community, or those who are just lovers of our natural environment and really are passionate about it, um, we're, we're you know familiar with. Uh, Mr. or Sir uh, David Attenborough, and he's big as a naturalist, and that's been his um, longevity of part of his career. It's always something that has to do with nature 
And he's a narrator, you know, perfect all around top five narrator from from um, what I uh, think of him as a great uh, speaking voice and having that. He's 94 years old and he broke uh, the world record for the fastest time to reach 1 million followers on Instagram, according to Guinness World Records. And he actually did it in four hours and 44 minutes faster than Jennifer Anderson's record of five hours and 16 minutes, which she reached in October 2019. He also holds other Guinness World Records, like having the longest career in TV as being a presenter and also the longest career as a television naturalist. And he also has been a part of so many major projects, you know, namely with Planet Earth being one of the most uh, popular uh, in-demand documentary uh, TV shows on record. And his career spans so many decades, seven decades, that's 70 years. And one of his latest projects that he has is David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet, which is on Netflix. Next up is another headline out of the UK as well, and it happens to deal with stroke patients. So putting virtual rehab for stroke patients to, to the test And this was found on Environmental News Network, and it it showcased in the UK um, out of the University of East Anglia. And it talked about putting the focus on stroke survivors and a different type of rehabilitation that is virtual. So it's all about this gaming platform that kind of integrates video game technology and uh, diagnosing and providing better rehabilitation for uh, victims of strokes. And it is also a program that can sort of rehabilitate those who also have suffered uh, other neurological uh, syndromes, even, you know, they're related to strokes. Um, About 1.2 million stroke survivors are in the UK and about 20 to 40 percent suffer a a hugely debilitating disorder called hemospatial neglect. And it leaves a lot of the the sufferers, the people affected, unaware of uh, things happening or located on one side of their body. And it greatly reduces their uh, ability to live by themselves and to be able to take care of themselves uh, sans uh, help from outsiders or from uh, assisted um, help. So with the type of rehabilitation that is focused out of the University East Anglia, they think that it will be great uh, using it to be inside patients' homes, uh, it's useful during lockdown and, you know, away from social distancing and things like shielding uh, and during this coronavirus pandemic. So this type of technology is great for those who are, um, you know, away from crowds and can sort of rehabilitate at home uh, by themselves if need be. And then lastly is a story out of India, and it's about this courageous young girl and her being a, a climate crusader. So planet is dying. India's eight-year-old climate crusader warns, and Borders.com had this story. It's out of New Delhi, India. And a young, young girl, she's a a young climate activist herself. She's eight years old. And her name is Lisi Priya uh, Kangujam. And I may be mispronouncing it, but I'm trying my best. 
And she loves uh, finding ways to save the planet, which is a very courageous and very admirable, very proud. So uh, she's one of the many uh, young child um, um, change activists of our time right now. And with Ken Gujam, she has been influenced by many things, namely some of the uh, Nepalese earthquakes back in 2015 that killed almost 10,000 people and destroyed 1 million homes. That kind of sparked um, her activism and love um, to, you know, care about our planet and what's happening and especially around climate change. So she's leading this huge movement uh, around uh, the prime minister, Modi and other Indian lawmakers too in uh, passing and trying to aim at passing a new law capping carbon emissions because India is the third largest producer of greenhouse gases. The source for this podcast episode's news is from Environmental News Network, ENN.com. And I thought it was a, a pretty interesting topic to discuss and to build solutions around because so much of what we uh, eat from, in fact, almost all of what we eat from in some way is connected to our literal uh, dirt, our soils of our world, you know, our plants, our, our, our vegetables and fruits, uh, the, the, the foraging of grass that animals need and the crops that uh, unconventionally uh, they, you know, have to eat, at least here in the U.S., to survive, you know, maize, for example, soybean, uh, so many other crops that are fed to uh, animals, it's from our our soils. So we have to keep our soils uh, nutritionally um, increased and uh, powerful enough to sustain ourselves. And over time, you know, you want our soils to be better, but, you know, uh, ironically and oppositely, we are finding more often that our soils are depleting at an ever-increasing rate. And uh, we want to look at, you know, talking about soil and how it's disappearing and why it's disappearing and how we can combat ways, especially those who uh, deal with uh, outside agriculture. Maybe it's the base of your business. Maybe you are a farmer. Maybe you are outside and you are a farmhand or you are really conscious about outside of your with your garden and you have acres and acres of land or farm animals you know maybe these tips in 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 more extended tips maybe you can you know research a bit outside of this podcast episode will get you in the right direction to protect your soil because maybe you're you know fresh out farming or maybe you don't have a lot of resources or maybe you just want some refreshing um, information, then this is the place to, of course, listen to. And I thought it would be valuable um, to kind of talk about the subject because um, I don't really talk a, a lot about soil, but I do um, find myself impacted, of course, because I, you know, I, you know, live and breathe and, you know, eat, you know, great food. And the, and the food gets to me by, of course, growing in, you know, nutritious soil or, you know, soil that's, you know, halfway around the world, whatever distance um, food travels to me, I am impacted as well. So we're going to look at many things, including this amazing uh, international study uh, that is first taking place around soil erosion. So we're going to look at saving our soils and kind of cutting to the chase here of uh, bringing about insight into how soil erosion is and, and how it has been 
um, studied at least a, a little bit recently. So this study was out of and led by uh, researchers in a sort of collaboration from Lancaster University and also uh, Chang'eng University in China and also KU Leuven in Belgium. And they brought all types of soil erosion data from all across our world. And it spanned 255 different locations across almost 40 countries on six continents. And I would make the safe assumption that they're probably not studying the soils in Antarctica, which makes sense. Um, and this data really took a long time to calculate, but they wanted to see uh, how um, much topsoil would be or was eroded at, at each location. And they uh, looked at how long it would take for at least 11 inches or 30 centimeters uh, to erode in all of those different locations and all those 255, almost 300 locations in the lifespan of the soil. So they looked at that and the topsoil is uh, most often uh, what's looked at as being nutritious, having more organic matter on it, um, and of course building and having nutritious dense soil. It's good for growing food, um, having those fibers in, in deep in the soil, uh, of course downward, um, and it's used for things like feed, you know, growing crops, you know, biofuels, corn, etc., and also for fuel. Now, soil erosion is a huge problem because it affects everyone worldwide, whether we know it or not. Um, it's intrinsically linked to things like uh, food insecurity or desertification, um, and it drives desertification at a huge rate. It also eliminates many plant life and animal life, uh, thus decreasing biodiversity, and it tears apart ecosystems that kind of thrive in your forested areas, in your in your areas where there is a lot of shrubbery, a lot of plant matter, and as far as desertification, it also uh, you know make, wreaks havoc, wreaks havoc on um, environments that need um, you know wet, uh, damp environments to survive. And if climate change is affecting those places, then they're disrupting uh, the habitats of the animals that live there. Those who live uh, in climates uh, that are increasing, uh, increasing vulnerability every single year. Um, sometimes it's man-made, but other times it's, it's brought on by the change of the habitats. So with the study, they included soils that were, um, I guess, um, cultivated conventionally and those that had unique uh, soil conservation techniques, which they, you know, went about in detail in the study. And they want to find out uh, the different changes um, to land use and also management practices and how those extended the lives, the lifespans of uh, soils. So the researchers found that 90% of the conventionally farmed soils in the study were thinning, and then 16% had lifespans of less than a century. So almost 20% aren't even going to make it past a century. Uh, also, with the thinning soils, they were all over the world, but they most notably included countries like Australia, my favorite country, China, the UK, and also the US. So with this data, there were um, different things 
uh, that steadily increased uh, the lifespan of the soil, uh, mainly uh, promoting uh, soil thickening and all types of other methods that kind of built a better soil base. Um, and they, they really went about expanding the different conservation strategies, which is a good thing. But if, uh, if an overwhelming percent of the soil is thinning, that's a problem. So, you know, there needs to be remedies around those um, soils that are thinning. And I think that was the main focus of the study. It's really detailed. And I love inter international studies because it's such a collaborative effort. And uh, so much can be learned all across the world from different points of view, different data sets. And, you know, all soils are not the same. And I'm glad that it was an overview and such an international um, piece of work. So the study is detailed in great detail in the paper Soil Lifespans and How They Can Be Extended by Land Use and Management Change. It was published in the journal Environmental Research Letters. We must remember that agroecosystems do not promote or protect soil fertility. Soil fertility is the ability to support plants depending on essential nutrients that they have, as well as their pH degree of aeration and overall structure. So supporting uh, plants in their most natural state and making sure that the nutrients are contained and not lost by things like soil erosion. Uh, with agroecosystems, these are systems built on agriculture so your uh, you know, big national, multinational corporations and how they're building upon farmland, sometimes ever increasingly um, plowing down trees for uh, animals or for beef, for example, like in Brazil. Brazil is a hotspot. It's one of the, the most notable places on the planet that I can think of uh, where they're destroying the Amazon rainforest for beef uh, to uh, make grains for them to thus eat um, for, you know, the consumers to, again, eat that beef uh, to also use that those paper um, products from those trees being cut down for paper that uh, most notably will not be uh, recycled, you know, most often, you know, a lot of people, um, there's a, a fact I talked about a long time ago on the uh, podcast where I think 90% of the paper, once it's printed and in use, it's never seen again or touched again. Uh, so we're, we're moving to a, a technological um, economy, of course, in the U.S. It's huge here. But uh, just looking at how agro uh, ecosystems are impactful um, is, is truly mind-numbing when you think about everything that agriculture, you know, essentially can touch. Um, it leads to uh, things like we talked about deforestation, uh, which is huge. Um, some of the, you know, major uh, tropical, um, you know, wet areas even of our world, they, of our world, they are being destroyed at, you know, ever increasing rates and it's not slowing down. I don't see, um, and there's no, there's no possible way for our Amazon rainforest to somehow rebuild, you know, in our lifetime. It's, it's not going to happen. I thought, you know, in, in being positive and being optimist, maybe it could happen, but it, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle to, um, you know, make sure that our Amazon stays safe, 
but if the multinational corporations aren't coming back anytime soon, but also we're funding them in some in some way connected to them, you know, if they own, you know, X amount of companies, there are beef companies or chicken companies or paper companies, and they're abroad and they're breaking laws to make sure that they profit. Um, and in the end, then that's uh, something that you want to avoid. You want to avoid uh, funding those multinational corporations. Uh, overgrazing is another issue where uh, animals, um, usually for um, profit, uh, they are on you know plots of land and they are overgrazing the area um, to the point where it's almost dead and it it can't sustain any more life. You know, could be, you know, past the point of where the grass is yellow and brown in some parts, or it is not receiving water and not having that water retention because the grass is just depleted of nutrients. Um, and also, I want to talk about the use of agrochemicals when it comes to agro uh, ecosystems. So these are chemicals that, of course, are man-made. So you have pesticides, uh, herbicides that really in, in in some ways you know increase yields but on the opposite end scientists say that the increase of these chemicals and the overuse of them changes our soil and it disrupts the balance of the microorganisms in the soil so it's doing so much more harm than good it's it's harming the growth of uh, beneficial bacteria and it's making um uh, increases or it's increasing the number of harmful bacteria and it's eliminating the good kind that we need to uh, make our soil healthy. So that is, you know, the really devastating part of this as well, um, because soil erosion is, um, I don't think it's a silent, um, it is a silent threat to some degree, but it's happening and we can't ignore that it's not. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to have talked about this issue and kind of brought it to the surface a little bit, no pun intended, but... I, I wanted to at least uh, draw um, a picture for you about how soil erosion goes about, some of the devastating effects of it, and you know, knowing that you know our um, with organic topsoil, for example, that's one of the um, things that uh, agro ecosystems and agro business they are built upon getting rid of the topsoil. That's a huge thing that they do, and that's one of the fastest ways um, to erode the soil over time. Also, they um, usually burn crop residue, so they're not able to pick out all of the uh, crops that they're going to uh, make um, sell, and you know some are in horrible conditions, so they end up burning um, their crops in the field. And then also sometimes they'll, they'll plow until the land into oblivion almost. Um, and thus that depletes the soil of its precious organic matter. And it kind of speeds up the process with soil erosion too, because wind and rain also kind of eliminate more of the topsoil and kind of uh, make it disappear faster because there's nothing to hold it. If, if the soil is repeatedly plowed and tilled, um, and, and bearing the brunt of that, it's hard for it to, to survive in better conditions. So um, we are going to talk about a few other solutions, a few you know different ways 
to kind of fight um, soil erosion and protecting your soil. So whether you a plant opt-in or you maybe have a small farm, maybe a larger farm, maybe you know someone who's maybe getting started in this business or maybe other plants outside, maybe they're worried about that or, you know, the costs of repairing a damage to their crops, then maybe they'll, of course, want to take a listen in and check out these amazing tips. The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things that we can do to combat the issue in the episode and also to protect Mother Earth. The message for this Mother Earth Minutes is that we can protect our soil and our roots. Half of the topsoil on the planet has been lost in the last 150 years. That's a long time, but in that time, we can do so much more. We can prevent our topsoil from being eroded to the past, to the, to the point of no return, essentially. And so many other things, too, but I want to focus on just a few different tips in plant matter that you can use to sort of cover up the soil and protect it so that it's not uh, whisked away uh, by the wind or even um, through natural disasters. So one of the first uh, tips is to add uh, humus from domesticated animals or even other organic waste, maybe such as um, compost to your topsoil. It restores that lost organic matter and nutrients to your soil. So that's the focus of this. If you love compost like I do, I love, love, love it like a kid loves Play-Doh and, you know, just having it mushed in my hands and the smell of it and the earthiness of it and the cultivation of it. It's great, great, great for your soil. Number two is to plow along the contour of land and not up and down on hills. That makes a lot of sense because you want to prevent uh, things like landslides uh, with uh, your hilly areas in places where you know there's a lot of uh, land and a lot of uh, dirt in one spot in place and you don't want that to um, become less and less over time. Uh, This will prevent the formation of things like gullies, which is great. Uh, Number three is to plant trees to also prevent things like landslides. Landslides are a menace, and they usually happen in places where there are are not any intricate or uh, mature root systems. So to combat that, you'll want to plant bushes or shrubs as a sort of barrier Uh, to the soil being eroded and with the leaves from those bushes and shrubs uh, falling and decaying and that also blocks rainwater so essentially it's kind of a a better barrier because even though you do want some water to penetrate into the soil you don't want so much to um, be in the soil that over time there's uh, less stability in the soil so some suggestions of um different plants to of course plant are turf uh, usually you'll, you'll want that you know natural turf um, ornamental grass or even low shrubs and other types of bushels that you can plant too to prevent landslides number four is for those who have 
um, agroforestry systems in place or who have um, forests or trees or they do a lot of planting of mature forests or wanting to grow um, along uh, your crops, you can do that too. So this is for those who want to also plant trees alongside their crops. That is very effective uh, for those who have uh, small acres of land or who are uh, small farmers. Uh, also, it's great to use manure on that soil because it also inhibits erosion and also making sure that there are rooted um, uh, systems when it comes to your crops. So the deeply rooted uh, plants that you can get, it also reduces um, the risk of erosion and also improves the soil structure at the same time. And then the last tip is number five. I found this at EOS.com is to plant uh, cover crops such as winter wheat or even rye to hold your soils in place and they do better because they don't face your your soils don't face as much exposure between the seasons uh, otherwise. So there are many different cover crops and there are many benefits with your cover crops. You could prevent soil erosion this way, which is the number one reason why I'm suggesting these. You could combat weeds, uh, conserve moisture, improve the soil structure for your uh, soil. You could provide habitat for predatory insects like um, you know, bees and wasps, etc. Um, for other wildlife too and wild animals can use uh, these to forage and also it reduces the leakage of nutrients um, from different plant matter. So with the cover crops there are different types. There are grasses that you could of course have, buckwheat, rye, um, I mentioned rye before, corn, barley and oats and others. Legumes like your crimson and white clover cow peas, alfalfa, hairy vetch, and also fava beans. And then your broadleaf non-legumes like your brassicas, your forage, uh, radishes, turnips, marigolds, mustards, and other types of broadleaf non-legumes. fact of the day is that the Siberian town of Rehonyansk, above the Arctic Circle, records a temperature of 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit, likely the hottest ever recorded that far north. The fact was sourced from the Sierra Club's Sierra Magazine in the September-October 2020 issue. The Eco Company Spotlight is where I talk about amazing environmental companies and they are doing great things for the planet, of course, but they have amazing products and services that you may as well, um, you know, know about, but also, you know, look into the company itself and, you know, explore a bit of it and uh, looking at, you know, how it's impacts its customers, uh, what drives this company 
uh, to make the amazing products and services that they have, um, the history of the company, the reviews of the products. Um, and I do I do you know some reviews definitely of the products that they have, but there are even more um, products that each company carries. And so that's why I, I do this also because I want you to you know look at uh, products from what the companies carry and what they have and, and how it fits into your life and how it benefits you. So I've been doing uh, so many different reviews since February 2019, and I'm kind of running out of different things to review. Um, I'm trying to, um, you know, find different things that I have reviewed um, and, you know, seeing some similarities maybe with other things that I have in mind. Maybe I'm thinking about switching up the segments and maybe reviewing other things like environmental organizations. I'm not sure, but this is where you come in. And so if you have a product or service you want me to try and you don't want this segment to, you know, be in and out, um, you know, after this podcast episode, then let me know and suggest uh, companies to me so that I know about them and products so that I can, of course, review them. It's, of course, free. And there are different ways to let me know. You can do so by voice message on the Anchor app. You can do so going to anchor.fm forward slash Green Thoughts Podcast and letting me know via a voicemail on your desktop or by emailing me just the same at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. So I want to tell you about an amazing company that I have referenced before, but I I just talked about a little bit of detail. I did not do a review of them or talk about them in an eco company spotlight segment before, uh, but they are an amazing company called Okabashi, and they were founded back in 1984. And they Okabashi Brand is a family-owned company, and they're owned and operated in uh, Buford, Georgia, which is in the South, and they are, are a definite. A family-friendly company, and they're founded, um, you know, just um, after the Irani family, because that's the family. Uh, they uh, came to the United States in 1981, so in the early uh, 80s, and the um, the father, uh, Bauman Irani, he was inspired by Japanese uh, craft and design and the flexible support of those shoes, of those sandals. And so he wanted to uh, raise an opportunity to promote good foot health, good wellness with those products that he had in mind uh, in creating his own shoe. So uh, he has done a wonderful job at cultivating and making Okabashi what it is. But his daughter recently took the reins back in 2017, so not too long ago. And she took over the business and is a third generation shoemaker and makes um, continually makes uh, Okabashi an amazing footwear a brand and, and really holding the legacy of what it means to be made in America. And there have been over 35 million pairs of their shoes sold today. And 99%, over 99% of American worn footwear is made abroad. And so Okabashi is part of that small sliver, that tiny 1% minority that is actually staying in the U.S. and making shoes happen, making shoes in the U.S. 
They also do a bit of donating and other initiatives and other work. And they work with 210 Foundation and Souls for Souls. And they've donated hundred over 100,000 pairs of their shoes for disaster relief, veterans, and more. So definitely Okabashi commits to sustainability in many different ways. First off, that they are made in the U.S., so that does make for a lower carbon footprint overall. And keeping things in the U.S. is great. It's great to, go shop and buy domestically. Um, their shoes and their products are also 100% recyclable. They do operate a closed-loop manufacturing system, which is brilliant. That's, they're one of the few um, makers and manufacturers that I've seen that does incorporate and have a closed-loop system, manufacturing system, and it's beautiful. That's amazing. So everything loops back to the, the starting point. So whether they give the shoes to the consumer and you're done with them, you can ship them back to them. And it's part of a closed loop there. So they make it, but it ends up coming back to them when the life of the product is, is complete. Their shoes are about 45% soy by weight. They are also BPA, latex, and thylate free. And their shoes are made from a bio-based material that's proprietary, and they are vegan. So as far as their products, they have women's, men's, um, sandals, flip-flops, and a few other accessories. And Okabashi is amazing. I remember buy, buying their shoes back in 2013. So that was some time ago. But I remember mainly the quality of these shoes being durable. I've never had a pair of flip-flops that were as durable in in material, um, in solid, um, not as in hardness, but you could tell that they, you know, care about the making of their, their flip-flops, really um, solid and durable. And it has like a rubber-esque uh, type of texture, which I was really glad for because I don't like uh, flip-flops that get too sweaty or that uh, will, will tear and rip in some places or they're irritating with the little thong. So that's not too good. But I love that they specialize in flip-flops enough to have been in business for this long and they care about their customers and the planet. They can do both and they have been able to demonstrate that year in and year out. They have many features of their shoes, their flip-flops. They have the massaging beads, they have the heel support, the, the art support, the heel cup, and they are machine washable, which is great. You know, you want that in a shoe, in a flip-flop. And, you know, getting, getting to sanitize it and make sure your feet are good and comfortable and, you know, free of bacteria and all types of other things that can be, of course, on your feet. So I had the flip-flops and they were with the yellow thong and they had like the, the red and white Okabashi uh, branding on the heel part uh, on the, the face of the shoe. And I remember the thong part being disengaged from the bottom, I think. And I can't remember if I tried gluing it in place or not, but I do miss those slow flops. I mean, they really were pretty comfortable, um, really great, easy to go on and off, you know, really sturdy. You know, you could, you know, kill a bug with those things if you needed to. And they were so durable. Um, you know, they would last you a good long time. You know, they're vintage kinds that you can find on eBay and Etsy, etc. And they have newer versions of their shoes too. So they're really like a classic brand. So I would give them four out of five, uh, 4.9, I'm sorry, uh, green thumbs up only because of that point off um, for my um, 
shoe mishap. That's not to say that that's indicative of all uh, Okabashi shoes, but I do love uh, what they you know stand for as a company, family friendly. They love their uh, workers and their staff, and it's like you know they just love making shoes, and that's the number one thing. So if you return your well-loved and worn Okabashi shoes to their factory, they will definitely recycle them for you and make use of them in other uh, Okabashi products and other non-apparel goods. So for that, once received, Okabashi will, of course, email you a 15% off promo code uh, to use on your next pair of Okabashis as a thank you from them and the planet. So you're going to want to send your old Okabashi shoes, if you have any, to Attention and then Recycling recycling Program Okabashi, all capitalized. And then the address is 4823 Roy Carlson Boulevard, Carlson with a C, and Buford, Georgia is the city and state. Zip code is 30518. Okabashi can be found in stores and online. You can check them out on their main website, Okabashi, at www.okabashi.com. That's O-K-A-B-A-S-H-I.com. You can find them at Amazon, um, eBay.com, Target.com, Walmart.com, and other stores um, in stores or where available in the U.S. And Okabashi can be found also on their many uh, social media platform sites, you can check them out at the Facebook page at Okabashi, Instagram at Okabashi Shoes, all lowercase one word. They're on LinkedIn at Okabashi Brands Inc. They're on Pinterest at Okabashi Shoes. They're on Twitter at Okabashi. And they have uh, so many videos also on YouTube too. So be sure to check them out. There are tons of reviews on the products as well. So to contact Okabashi, just check out their site again. That's Okabashi, O-K-A-B-A-S-H-I.com. And then check out the bottom of their website under Contact Us to call, mail, message, visit their place, their workplace, or even write them. All right, everyone. So... Thank you for tuning in and listening in. I know that uh, this topic may be new to some or, you know, fresh information to others too. And I'm happy to, you know, I've talked about it and, uh, you know, had some refreshing info on this. And, you know, I love talking about these topics and, you know, just getting that information to you all. And I love that, you know, there's a variety of podcast episodes here uh, on Green of Thoughts, that there's kind of something for everyone, whether it's fashion, whether it's environmental design, whether it's a little bit of politics or social issues or just recent research, everyone has uh, their, you know, niche or their topic that they just love. And so, you know, there are different um, topics I'm going to be covering in the future and sort of navigating the landscape of, you know, what Greener Thoughts is going to look like, but still pushing out and having amazing episodes for you to enjoy, of course, that won't stop. Um, so thank you always for supporting me, for sharing the podcast episodes, for, you know, just being a great listener, consistent listener. Um, and I wish I could do a podcast episode every day to sort of catch up and even just be on the upswing 
of episodes, but I'm kind of, um, you know, dabbling with a few other things, um, other projects that are big too, not podcasts, but other sort of um, art-related things as well, creative uh, space um, entities. So um, who knows? I may, um, you know, venture and practice those as well, but also keep pushing out and having amazing podcast episodes as well. We'll always have that as a focus. Uh, there are ways to support the podcast, always sharing episodes. That means so much. Like getting, um, you know, great listenership is amazing and it feels great. It's great to have that positive, um, informative uh, reach with uh, my audience and listeners out there from all over the world. And you can also um, um, do uh, things like funding, different things regarding the podcast. And there are ways to do that on the Anchor.fm site going to the website uh, forward slash greener thoughts podcast and clicking on the support tab for different tiers of how to support at 99 cents per month and four dollars and 99 cents per month and also nine dollars 99 cents per month and all those are in a u.s dollar currency amounts and these do a bit for helping propel um, the podcast forward So again, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast episode. I will be doing another one in the future, uh, not so uh, distant future or so. But until then, uh, you take care. And as always, please take care of yourselves. And also please take care of the planet. See you until next time.